The world would have tyrants. Mm-hmm. The world would have unemotionally available men. I, I think in today's society, we're seeing some of that start to mm-hmm. bubble out in, in, in mainstream media of that yeah. kind of energy. You know, I was a, a, a driven entrepreneur focused on money. And that's what I, in my early 30s and 40s, thought that that's what success meant. So uh, having a mission and a legacy and focused on service work and doing that, that's what you get. You get men that will do that, you know? And so like over the years, I've really come into that. Uh, A life bigger than myself. See, now I'm going to the things you get. Right, right, right. (laughs) You're a high achiever. On paper and through the eyes of others, you've made it. Congratulations. But the truth is, you feel unwanted, unworthy, and unlovable. You always have, but you hide it well. Welcome to the Trauma Hiders Podcast. I'm Karen Goldfinger Baker, and this is a podcast where high achievers like you finally reveal what keeps them up at night that no amount of money or recognition will fix. I'm also making it my business to speak with people who get you. Hell, I get you. I am you. So get your best hider's face on, sit down, and let your guard down. What's on the other side of this shit will change your life. There are so many ways people like us fuck ourselves over. But let's start with five ways. When you know them, maybe you'll finally stop doing them. Over on my website, you'll find a free download listing the five ways your fuckery is getting in the way of the next level of your success. Grab it now at KarenGoldfingerBaker.com. My guest today is my friend, Tony Benici. Tony is the author of the recently released book, The Dojo. The Ancient Wisdom of Integrative Leadership for the Modern Entrepreneur. He's a leadership and executive coach, inspired son, loving husband and father, and he's the founder of Zen Men and the creator of the Dojo Integrated Leadership. Raised in a Buddhist temple, having trained as a junior Olympian in judo and diagnosed with dyslexia, he had to adapt and look at things outside the box. While his businesses and revenue grew, it took the birth of his second son to realize there was more to life than making money. Tony discovered the ancient secrets to building a highly profitable business without sacrificing his life. This conversation between friends has love, reverence, connection, depth, strategy, and a whole lot more. It's part one of a two-part conversation, and it's all right here in the Trauma Hiders Club. Brother, I am so glad you're here. Happy to be here. It hasn't been long since we planned for this, but what has been long is since we've been in the same room, in the same space together. And that for me is a bit of a heartbreak. It's been like how many years? Like four, five? Four years, yeah. Yeah. Four years. Wow. In LA or and other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. London. We were together. London, yeah. We were together in London, Sedona. Sedona, yeah. Somewhere else in California. I don't remember where that was. Anyway, well, I'm glad we're here and hanging together, doing our thing. Mm -hmm. 
So you have a book, The Dojo, and I started to dig into The Dojo, which is actually called People, The Ancient Wisdom of Integrative Leadership for the Modern Entrepreneur. In addition to my heartbreak of us not being together, I don't know where I have been that I missed that your son had a significant accident not too long ago. <laughs> not too long ago, no. No. Looking at probably 365 days ago, probably starting today. Yeah. It was like right about this, uh, this time last year. Wow. Tony, one, I want to put out there that I don't know where I was in time and space, but from here on, you have my full love and support. I don't know how I missed that. And I can't imagine that I forgot that. It's in the beginning of the book. If you're curious what we're talking about. Yes. Go to the beginning of the book <laughs> and holy shit. Wow. Yeah. So Sage was, is how old now? He's 17 now. So he was 16 when this, ha this diving accident happened and he's, yeah. he's thriving. Yeah. Yeah. Diving well over a hundred feet and underwater <laughs> under, with one breath. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's a Hawaii kid. So right. what really struck me, and I really, I encourage everyone to read this book. Now I can only say I got so far, but in the so far I got, I could have just stopped right there. What really struck me was your description of being in the hospital when Sage really started to crash and how you stayed in a state of I'm just going to call it a state of strength. You refer to Zen in this state of this is happening and I am going to maintain. I'm going to maintain like not right. I'm not going to lose my shit. I don't know that you were saying that, but I will get to that in a second. What really struck me was when you write about counting the number of people and noticing each person's job there in this significant emergency situation that's a life or death situation. Choosing to take a look at each person, the role they had, counting them, whatever you were doing, but acknowledging their presence. I was about to ask, how did you do that? I know how you did that because I read how you did that. <laughs> What is that? What do you call that shit, superpower, magic, presence? What is that? I think that's the word. Yeah. You just said it right there. It's like a super heightened awareness where my senses are so online, it spots everything that's happening. It's like I come from a martial arts background. So that samurai where you know a samurai has 20 people all around you ready to kill you and you can see behind your head and you can see all around you all simultaneously while they're standing there mm. so it's like that kind of vision and that kind of awareness when put under intensity or stress is a trained and muscle that can be developed through practice and putting yourself in situations like that and so for myself, I was like, I'm, uh, that's my world is I train at being in my body and very centered under things that trigger like my thinking and my ego to want to panic, run, 
lose it, break down crying. I had the social worker standing next to me and she's, I'm, I'm standing as a warrior at the foot of my son's bed, you know, for 45 minutes, they're working on reviving him. And she stood next to me, like ready to take me out. I could feel her wanting to remove me from the space. And when I looked at her and said, no, I'm, I'm fine and I'm safe. And she goes, Oh, you, you got it. I get it right now. I can feel you. And so one, the vigilance under intensity to stay present and not check out. That's what I'd call that. Yeah. Now for trauma hiders, <laughs> right? <laughs> we may all be hyper vigilant. We may know what vigilance looks like, but to stay present, uh, that is, yeah, that's just not a thing. It's in fact to compartmentalize, like I'm safe. I'm not going to feel what I'm feeling, but the way you describe it, you are in it. Mm -hmm. You are in it. You're not putting it into spaces or boxes to move it over, or are you? Yeah, you can see me as I'm starting to, I, I really want to be clear on this is because there is a compartmentalization that I chose not to feel what was going on inside with emotion. Okay. Like one way I've described it when I've worked in the prisons doing men, men's rites of passage work. And when a man comes from the yard and comes back into this container of men for rites of passage, they let their guard down and they're vulnerable, transparent. They're connected with brothers that, that they never even dreamed that they would have a bond with right? Uh, different cultures and stuff in prison are very segregated. And the, the concept that when you go back into the yard, you're going to actually need to put up some sort of, we called it a shield. And the shield of like, it's a, it's a shield that can be present, but it doesn't have to feel all the stuff that is coming in that can be felt as an empath. I feel it. And so that when I was there, it's like putting up this invisible force field, I'll say, that can really allow the emotion not to take over my body and let me stay in my body while it's happening in front of me. And that's a, that's a hard concept to describe, you know? Yeah. And also, I think like in our world, in our personal growth and whatever else world, we're going to have some judgment around that. Like, what are you doing moving emotion aside? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing moving away your feelings? However, there are moments in our lives when we have to choose useful. Right. What is going to serve me right now? And that is not going to serve me. That's it. That's the incredible, like the incredibly powerful, that's just it. You were and are at choice, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, I got a million emotions happening right now. They're just not going to be useful right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Go over there, go over there, have your little, your emotions party. I'll get back to you. Yeah. And, and literally that getting back to you piece is, was a crucial part of me and my recovery and healing that uh, Renee Tillotson, who, who actually interviewed me and wrote that up, I asked her to please don't rescue me. Please let me be in that emotional state while she interviews me. And for two hours, I, I wept and mm. got angry and it's there now. I'm, I'm right back into it, you know? And so it's not like taking emotion and pushing it away and never dealing with it like you know, emotional trauma from the past. It's more that I'm I'm aware and then I idea I get to a place to process it and actually work with it. And counselors, coaches, all that kind of people can help with that thing. And Renee was an outlet for that for me too. Man, I, I hadn't cried like that in a long time. I hadn't felt that emotion of 
my son not being on this planet, you know, and I didn't feel it at all for the whole two weeks that I was in ICU and, and that I was like, I was like on the emotionally into yeah. this right now. Yeah. I, I was his advocate. I was his voice, you know? Yeah. And so there was, there wasn't time for that in the moment to be feeling a mess, be angry. It wasn't time for that. Right. Right. And I think there's a place and a time for all of that. And so, again, you can train at it and and participate in actively learning how to, how to be more aware in those kind of situations. And so that's like been my focus of my life for the last 15, 20 years of diving into what does it mean to be an emotionally fluid man? And, and really, like, I can go the other way. I can touch my emotion. Uh, like, I, I know, like most men can't. I've been working at that muscle of that for 12 years of doing rites of passage work and really leading from vulnerability and transparency. So along with being able to say, hey, I'm going to compartmentalize, I can swing it back into and really feel my love for you and, and, and Sage and everybody and really let my heart feel that and my body feel the energy that comes with that. So nice. Can you tell us, you've referenced rites of passage work a couple of times. What does that mean? So rites of passage work back in tribal traditions, there's always been rites of passage for young men becoming men. And where in the tribe, the uncles or the other fathers would take the child away from the mother. And it would be a dramatic stripping of the way uh, of taking the child from the mother and going on an adventure that would in some cases, determine whether they lived or died. Mm. Uh, could be sitting on a mountaintop back in the day. This is how it was done. Now we come forward into a time where rites of passage and, and men being initiated into a tribe or being initiated into manhood. What does it mean to be a mature masculine man? And my world doesn't happen on a regular basis. And so in on October 2008, I was initiated through with the Mankind Project has a weekend that does what's called the New Warrior Training Adventure. Uh, it was the first one here on the island, and they, they're already in like 12 different countries and stuff. And um, at the end of that weekend, I felt that energy of like, wow, to see men leading from vulnerability and transparency, 150 men on a weekend, and really feeling the energy and power in that. I was like, oh, here's where my work lies. I was scared shitless and I was like, oh, this for me, I'm going to fully dive into this. So I had the honor of being a part of developing the Mankind Project in the state of Hawaii, being able to do rites of passage weekends, a 48-hour intensive on every single island, and then also uh, creating men's circles or groups where you can meet weekly to have the support to be around men that have all been initiated men. And so for 12 years, I went on, did the leadership track. I got to lead weekends. I've been to New Zealand and led weekends and all over the United States. And it was a phenomenal journey of my own work and depth of growth, you know. And two years ago, get the calling to step out of that and really bring my legacy work and mission work home to the two most important things in my life, which are my boys. And so, doing that and letting go of you know what i thought was really the thing to do and be that 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 uh, leader and say yeah, it's time to do it right at home 
you know, and it couldn't have been at a better time that I went through what we went through as a family with Sage and, you know, Bodie's growing into his, his mature masculine and I get to be right there, part of it and be that role model, you know, so that's the right, the path is the mankind project. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to go back to that for one sec. What would be the downside if men did not have this rite of passage experience? What would the world not have in it? Oh my gosh. Tyrant. The world would have tyrants. Mm. The world would have unemotionally available men. I, I think in today's society, we're seeing some of that start to mm -hmm. bubble out in, in, in mainstream media of that yeah. kind of energy. You know, I was a, a, a driven entrepreneur focused on money. And that's what I, in my early 30s and 40s, thought that that's what success meant. So, uh, having a mission and a legacy and focused on service work and doing that that's what you get you get men that will do that you know and so like over the years i've really come into that uh, a life bigger than myself yeah like, see now i'm going to the things you get not right 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 <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if do women need rites of passage work is there such a thing oh yeah yeah and it's totally different i would think like the idea of doing a men's rites of passage for women, the founders kind of tried that and the wives were like, are you kidding me? And they designed Women From Within is the oh. women's organization of that Women From Within. And they do a 48 hour intensive like that. Cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what that is. That'll be interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Amber's done a lot of the work with it and I'm friends with some of the trainers. And Nice. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great work. And, you know, to open somebody up in 48 hours to the idea that, you know, that there is more to them than what they walked in with. And then to have a community and a tribe of men or women to be that. And it's global. So you can, I can go anywhere and sit in a men's circle and we, you know, kind of have the same language and stuff. And I can connect on that heart level. And we know what it's like to feel as a man and what it's like to have a mission bigger than yourself. Yeah, that's really cool stuff. Tony, I want to go to your book. Again, I'm not done with the book yet. So I'm what I might reference might be earlier in the book, will be earlier. There were moments where I just put the book down, took a deep breath and let words or phrases or sentences or paragraphs sink in. And the part where you're talking about your father, and what really, and it's, it gets me choked up right now, it's almost the end of the chapter on growing up Zen and referencing your father. It's a simple sentence. And he wrote, he kept his word to us. And my heart did two things. It filled up and it felt incredibly heavy. I don't think this is necessary. It might have part to do with my own father who is still alive and thriving and doing his own thing at 87 years old. There was the keeping of the word and it really, it really was like a, like a gut punch to me because as I'm getting older and discovering like generations of fuck upness in my own family, keeping of word is very light. It's not absent. That, Seeing it written was just, for me, it felt like something that I could not write. 
and, and it's not just about, it's not about my dad. It's about life. Yeah. So what does it feel like to have someone at a young age make a promise to you that you know and to keep his word? What is that? Well, as a young man or boy, is it totally unconscious of it and unaware of it? So there was no like even idea of it. My idea of it as a young teenager would be like, why don't you go do something else or go get a job and so you're not around like I see most of the kids are, you know? And so I'd be trying to talk them into breaking that agreement as a young child. Right. Go look like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. Yeah, the thing um, I, I just want to point to, the thing that he kept his word on was to be a living role model for you and your relationship with your two sons. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I mean, the important, he, he role modeled the importance of a relationship between father and son. At the time, did you, did you know that? Did you know that then? You didn't. So he wasn't saying, I'm here because I want you to see. Okay. I took it like you've got this very enlightened father, right? And so I have this whole fantasy about your home life. Okay. <laughs> I was going to out myself that your dad is like forever, like my son, let me teach you the ways in ways that are gentle and loving and okay and a warm blanket and also like your parents being in your house and caring for all sorts of children and there's just like love and acceptance and surrender and all the things everywhere and so in my fantasy mm-hmm. <laughs> your dad says i am going to be a role model for you and your sons should you ever have them and he lives up to it mm-hmm. okay go ahead and tell me how it really was <laughs> Um, (laughs) yeah my mom and dad had an interesting way of teaching me and my brother not through a lot of words a lot of the times you know and uh so like people will ask me questions about buddhism or christianity or judaism like i i've been studied in it and i've been immersed in it through like a visceral or a felt experience of mm-hmm. practicing Hanukkah, practicing math, practicing, you know, eating style Zen, sitting Zen, ringing the bell, all that. That's practice. And so it wasn't cognitive teaching. So that's why, like, in a lot of these interviews, especially, is like, man, I didn't have a clue what the hell was going on when he's asking me to polish a floor. I'm sitting here as a pissed off teenager going, are you fucking kidding me? Right? As I start to look back and do my work, and I had my coaches that I get to work with that say, what happened back there? And what really was going on? And then it started to come all to the surface. Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, okay, now I can, you know, really honor and, and see what, how he was doing it, and, and the way it was happening. I can reflect back to it. Yeah, very cool. I'm imagining you, Tony, just I mean, I don't even have to imagine. I know you. Um, and there's there's a part of you that is so even and chill. And then there's this part of you that is like, yeah, I will fucking take you out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's an easy part of you that I'm not saying it shows up easily, but 
I know that it is a, it's a, it's an easy trigger. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I will, I will take you to your fucking knees. I mean, junior Olympian in judo, was it? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you could, you could kill a guy. So I would imagine, yeah, that pissed off you. Yeah. Not happy to be polishing the floor. You have your dad here today. Thank God. Mm-hmm. And yeah. do you dig into like, ah, dad, like, can you tell me more about that? Or I didn't know what that was. Or do you try to get more from him now about those earlier life lessons? Totally. Yeah, I exploit it. I, I mean, I go to lunch with him, you know, often, if, you know, if not weekly. Yeah. So 20 minutes away. So it's like, you know, learning and investigating still being the student at, you know, 50 three years old and you know he's coming into his 80s and so i'll give him 78 because he'll listen to this <laughs> we gotta definitely there's that constant learning and respect and you know and, yeah. and what a gift to like we're at a place where it's both ways it's like it's coming so fast and our relationship you know like i mean if i my experience with you is how I experience that energy with my dad. It's like I, you give to me it, and I give to you, and it's, there's no even line in there. And knowledge is flowing so fast and readily available. It, it's I have a dad like that, right? I mean, and I'm like I know that now, and I get the value of that. That's why I'm connected with him the way I am, and that. And then that's that modeling again because I, ha- I I'm in relationship with him, so I go and I can be with you, and I'm like, oh, do the same thing. Right. Right. And, and man, it feels so good. Yeah. Really cool. And scary too at the same time. <laughs> right. You know, I don't know you as well as my dad. Yeah, right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I might surprise you, <laughs> but you have your warriors. So I do want to mention this. When your book went live and we were on Facebook, we did, uh, or Zoom, I think it was Zoom on Facebook, whatever it was, we did a thing. I was looking at your mom and your dad. And for one, you and your father looked so much alike. I mean, there's like, there's the future. Um, <laughs> I two, agree. And I'm, I'm only focusing on your dad right now, but your father's pride and his emotion and his love was so apparent. I don't know that he had Kleenex, but I could see this was a man who was so tender, so proud so in love and it was so nice so beautiful he nailed it yeah that's beautiful (laughs) yeah so i want to read this line my mother is an undercover agent (laughs) (laughs) this is part one chapter two my mother is an undercover agent what is that for you what did she what is she (laughs) i mean i know but you tell me what does it mean for your mother to be an undercover agent yeah, so to have a mom that doesn't necessarily uh, share her gifts or her talents, doesn't brag, doesn't bring any of that out into the forefront and trains vigilantly on the back end to be like the machine and honed human body that you could be in relationship with the universe. Mm. In all aspects, like physical, spiritual, mental, intellectual, all of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Out, but yeah, that's exactly. And so, you know, 
she has been for me as an not only as an entrepreneur but also as a father and spiritually and in my relationship with amber has been that role model of that and how she takes care of her body at 75 at eight years of doing crossfit you know and here you know she's the oldest woman in there and she she does her you know she scales and does her own workout and she committed and her body's in great shape for that age and you know and and i say like that's i get to be like her and that's who I get to role model after. And in saying that, she won't talk about any of that. So, you know, to be a Reiki master, to be a crossfitter, she communicates with angels and it's incredible. I could just go on and on. And the Zen priest is to match that. Is she a death doula? A death, she's something. Not a death doula, but uh, where she would, hospital chaplaincy is what it was called. Oh, okay. Uh, chaplaincy. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She'd go sit with people and just listen and hold or be with somebody for hours. Yeah. Right. And that's healing work in itself. Like, we'll talk about that. Right. I mean, it's like, wow. The, the classic one for me is I didn't know that uh, what Reiki was. You've heard of Reiki. Yep. And so, and here I have a mom that is a Reiki master and growing up would say, here's how we work with injuries in judo is put your hand above like this and it should sit there for hours. And that's what would happen. And it would seem like, oh man, it's getting better. This is incredible. So I'm now in my twenties and some girlfriends are like, Hey, you want to take a Reiki class? Oh, that sounds cool. New agey. And I got to take it. And everything this lady's talking about is what I've been doing as a child with my mom. Right. And so I'm sitting here going, wow, this is and then I start putting my hands on people and I bring the awareness up to what's actually happening. I got goosebumps all over. I'm activated in that. And it just like it, it took my ability and uh, awareness just <laughs> raised it up where I was like the teacher was like, go home and have a conversation with your mom. You don't even know. I already know what your mom is something, but I just don't have the words for it yet. So then come back the next day. Oh, yeah, she's a Reiki master. What? Right. <laughs> Incredible. So that's an undercover agent mother. That is an undercover agent. I want to say something that is so important about your book, the dojo and the longer title therein. I love that you have these life lessons. So I'm just going to, I'm going to share the first, what I think these are the first life lessons, which are you don't lose power by being vulnerable and transparent. It encourages people to come closer to you. Love that. Number two is trust your gut. Your ego will always stop you. Hell yes. And number three, be, be willing to open up to feel your feelings and share them. Each one, I'd say this. Those are my top three in that. Yeah. You know, it's like... yeah that's my experience of you. Those are your top three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's another one. Right before we get to the actual, like the method of the dojo, um, this one. Your and this is a these are different life lessons. There's a list of seven. Your feelings are energetic messages from your body. If you stop allowing even one feeling, all of your feelings will suffer. Mm -hmm. Bang, man! If that isn't the truth, I hate that. I hate and love that one at the same I time. I know. Like, Stupid fucking feelings. I know. It's like the parts of you too. Like I hate yep. that part of me that feels this. So I'm going to try to put it over there. Well, guess what it does? Not only does it fight back harder, it brings a lot of friends. 
right. and now yeah, it's a exactly. turf war and they're like uh this is going to be some west side story gang action happening here yeah yeah that's where it messed me up the ideal uh zen person mm. would be like calm and don't feel like you're so centered down in your belly you don't feel anything is what my mind would make up about then and and seeing the tv shows and stuff and so uh to to be emotionally fluid and be that guy you know it's so counterintuitive so which parts of you do you think what was the one feeling that like you wanted to be like move the fuck over that kept wanting to fight back expressing anger Mm, anger. Yeah. So uh, I'll bring in the, the methodology of the Mankind Project and emotions. M mad, sad, glad, fear, and shame are like core emotions, right? So if I, if I do, if I suppress mad, then I'm going to have, that's going to suppress all the other ones too, just a little bit more than if I actually learned how to express anger in a healthy way. Another one for me was, would be shame, is that if I uh, had, uh, experience shame in my body and I can keep everybody on the outside believing that I'm perfect and everything's going great. I could have enough control over it where it didn't show, right? And not acknowledge it. It just kind of kept joy or sadness oh, yeah. a little more suppressed, you know? Yeah. Hello. So now Welcome that I'm, to my now life. That I'm accessing <laughs> those. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I laugh more than I laugh ever. Yeah. You know, I cry more than I cry than I've ever as a man. And I'll stand in it and stay with it and be in all the glory of that emotion. Yeah, you know? I and love so that. I'm really learning that as in this age. And so to, to model that for my kids, you know, and to be that emotionally fluid, mature, masculine man, that, that would be it. Right. And that it's okay to feel. And there's times when it's okay not to. Yeah. I'm looking at the time and I actually think we might need a part two. So I'm going to, I'm just going to ask this question. Yes. Who are you being for your sons? That is a you in a way that you are forging the path that you haven't, it hasn't been embodied before for you to see. Yeah. So it's yours. It's your path. So make sure I understand what am I forging for the generations forward? Sure, that's a really succinct way of asking that question. Yeah, that's a yes. Now I'm yeah. going to ask it a different way. Okay. You have two sons. Mm -hmm. What is the legacy that you are living that will live within them? Yeah. I mean, that, that touches, touches on a, a, some good, you know, heart centered stuff for me. And uh, I'm a firm believer that, uh, Things that happen seven generations back get carried forward, and then it comes another seven generations forward. And as, as you speak about that, what is that? For me, that I grew up in a initially Catholic upbringing that my dad was raised Catholic, and spankings were one of those mm. things that was part of being raised in that environment. And so being spanked as a child, it, that's something that happened to me. And I remember as a kid going, I'm never doing that to my kid. Fucking never, right? I'm sorry, I get like, and here my, my second son was being born and I'm disciplining my two-year-old by giving him spanking. Mm. Mm. And again, I'm not conscious of it at the time and doing men's work brings consciousness to this. 
So me going and doing my work on a men's weekend and and doing a purification and renewal ceremony and coming out of there going, oh, fuck, I get to break a chain in a lineage that it's seven years going that direction. And it was like, I just it opened me up that it was like, I'm never, ever doing that again. And it'll be the impact that, you know, I know Sage has some of that. Bodhi has never experienced that. He doesn't even know what the fuck that is. So that's that part of that change. So that's like one little thing to then own it. And I went right to talk to Amber and share with her what I was experiencing and that that was no longer appropriate for, for me. And we've danced with that and kept scoot with that. And they, they challenged the hell out of me, you know? I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's something that I choose to do. So that's that that one thing. Then if I go into the emotion that they're seeing a dad that is expressing emotion fluidly, maybe I was conscious of my dad's emotion, but I made up that he was stoic. And I know his dad and dad and dad were all stoics. And so to be the, uh, the model of being emotionally fluid for your son, two nights ago before Amber left, she surprised me with a bunch of gifts. Ran it through me. Like I wasn't, I'm not expecting it, but she was like, no, this is something that I've been wanting to do. And so we all sat down together and I started opening the gifts and I'm just crying because I, I, I'm i not a good receiver at all. Right. Random act of kindness. I'm the other way. Right. My kids are right there and I'm just crying in, in love and joy of being this receiving that I'm feeling and I'm not trying to hide it or suck it up or you know, dads don't cry and they're there with me experiencing that. I know that's going to impact them as they move on into their journeys as a man, right? Yeah. So those are like two little... Two, uh, I love it. Those are perfect for wrapping up who you be, mm -hmm. the love that you are, and we will catch the dojo. We'll dig more into the book. And as we know... Part two. You're going to bring all of all of this love into that as well. Yeah. All good. You've been listening to the Trauma Hiders Club podcast. For more episodes, head over to my website where you'll find links to resources mentioned and all the ways you can listen on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're ready to fight, discover the rules of Trauma Club. Head over to KarenGoldfingerBaker.com.